What's up, South Florida sports fans, and welcome to an exhilarating episode of Bally Sports Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. Super excited to get to the action of this one, so let me just set it up. You got both of the South Florida teams in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Miami Heat taking on the Boston Celtics tonight on Wednesday with the Heat Live postgame show after tonight's game and continuing throughout the postseason. And of course, the Florida Panthers on Thursday taking on the Carolina Hurricanes with the Panthers live postgame show after the games all postseason long. We've got 14 straight days potentially of playoff games in the Eastern Conference Finals with both of our teams in action. And today, we'll set it all up. Rohan Nadkarni from Sports Illustrated joins me in the first segment of today's Miami Miked Up to break everything down regarding the Heat and the Celtics. And then Bally Sports' own Pete Blackburn from the national side of things on the NHL. He joins me to break down the Panthers and Hurricanes series. So enjoy today's episode of Miami Miked Up. And we begin this episode of Miami Miked Up. You know him from Sports Illustrated. He is also, I think, a, a key factor on Heat Twitter, um, if I do say so myself. Rohan Nadkarni, thank you so much for joining me today on Miami Miked Up. Listen, this is my pleasure. This is the hottest podcast uh, in Miami. Lord knows there are several of them. So, so many podcasts uh, coming out of the city. I don't know how we're sustaining all of them, but I'm, I'm happy to be on Miami Miked Up. You know, I always see uh, the during the regular season, I'd keep seeing the plug for it on the ticker <laughs> while watching Heat games. Yep. So I was like, I got to make it on Miami Miked Up one day. And here I am. Well, thanks for saying that. Uh, yeah, maybe one of a few too many podcasts, um, and this one might be <laughs> might be the tipping point. But that's okay. We're enjoying it, uh, and we're happy to have you here, Rohan. Uh, before we dive into Heat Celtics and everything that's coming up in this Eastern Conference Finals matchup, I want to ask you, what's something recently outside of work that has brought you joy? Gosh, wow. That's a good question. Um I would say grilling, man. It's in the mm. spring, like where it's prime grilling time. <laughs> you, you, know, you just got to lean into the humidity. You just got to lean into being sweaty on top yes. of the grill. But, you know, you got a cold beverage with you. Uh, that that to me does not get much better than that. That's vibes. That's what that is. That's mm -hmm. just a vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Itself. That's a vibe headed into the summer. I love it. Well, as we head into this summer, we also head into the final stretch of NBA playoff basketball. We got a rematch once again of the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics the third time in four years. Obviously, the Celtics won last year's matchup in seven games. A lot of familiar pieces for both teams, but both of these teams have changed since last year. So let's start there, actually. You know, for, for the layman who may not have, have, you know, noticed the specifics of what's changed, when you look at, at this matchup now this year, what, what makes it unique between these two teams? Uh, that's a really good question and a really good place to start because... Miami's coming in with a different rotation compared to last year. Um, one funny quirk about this series, in 2020, Duncan Robinson was starting in the playoffs, a huge key factor to Miami's finals run in the bubble. He barely played in the series last year. He's back in the rotation in large part due to injuries to Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo. So this year we're going to see a lot more Duncan Robinson. We're obviously going to see Kevin Love. It yep. sounds like Boston's going to be starting its two big men, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point in this podcast, yep. which gives Miami an opportunity to start Kevin Love. He's kind of playing the position P.J. Tucker played last year. 
which is important for Miami because P.J. Tucker, who as great as he was defensively and a huge reason Miami played so well in that series last year, the Celtics didn't exactly respect his offense. So right. Kevin Love adds a different dimension with his shooting on the outside. And then you have Caleb Martin, who was on a two-way contract, converted last year, but he barely played in the playoffs. He's been, I'd argue, the Heat's third best player in the playoffs yep. this year. I'd make that same He's argument. He's been fantastic. Sure. Yep. He's been fantastic on both ends of the floor. And then Boston, again, largely the same rotation, a huge difference there. They have Malcolm Brogdon, the sixth man of the year winner, who gives them another defensive guard, another option to throw at Jimmy Butler. And he's a big part of their three-point shooting attack offensively. So definitely some new and old faces in this series. Absolutely. Well, let's start with maybe the, you know, the, the most important piece in the series, and that's Jimmy Butler. Uh, mm-hmm. Round one, offensively, he was a dynamo in taking down Milwaukee. It couldn't be stopped. Uh, round two, a little bit more picking his spots. Um, that may have been because he was hampered slightly by that ankle injury. Um, but you did see the Knicks do some different things on the defensive end and the way they approached Jimmy Butler in round two. So how did the Celtics try to slow down Jimmy's output on the offensive end? And how much of Jimmy's performance really just comes down to like Jimmy getting what he wants on the offensive end? How much of it is that? So it sounds silly to say, but Jimmy Butler is going to be a massive key in this series as he was against Boston last year. He led all players in scoring in that conference finals, and that's despite missing half a game with his knee injury. He scored six points in game five uh, dealing with that knee injury. That was before coming back with 47 in Boston. Right. So to me, the way you know Jimmy was not himself in that Knicks series, you know, he said it after one of the games, I'm not a scorer. You know, that's not totally true, but his efficiency took a serious hit in that series. That That's mm-hmm. not who Jimmy was during the regular season. That's not who he was during the first round. You could argue he had his best offensive season of his career in the regular season because of how efficient he was. So to me, that that was a sign in the Knicks series that, that he was not 100% because of the efficiency taking a hit. Also, I mean, he's posting photos of himself walking up to the game and his ankle is like the size of a great crew. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. So that clearly was was limiting him to some extent. But you, you mentioned it. The Knicks, they they did what Milwaukee refused to do, which was throw extra bodies at Jimmy Butler. They trapped him coming out of some pick and rolls, sent a second defender his way, forced him to be more of a facilitator. I don't think that's going to work against Boston. Uh, for multiple reasons. First of all, the heat shooting, it comes and goes. We saw it on fire in the first round. We saw them not hit in the second round. But more importantly, Boston is a team stacked with perimeter defenders. Even their bigs, whether it's Robert Williams, Al Horford, they have the capability to switch onto someone like Jimmy Butler, especially because teams, even though he shoots well in the playoffs, teams aren't worried about Jimmy Butler's three-point shooting. It allows them to stick more bigs on him, switch onto him. So Last year in this series, in this matchup, we saw Jimmy Butler. Derek White was kind of his target. Um, And Derek White's not a bad defender, but when you don't have great options, that's who Jimmy ended up picking on. And he did have a lot of success in that series. But a lot of this series from Miami offensively is going to come down to, can Jimmy have success against switches? Can he find a matchup Mm -hmm. he likes? Can he go one-on-one and score? Because Boston's great defensively and they're, they're going to kind of make Jimmy Butler beat them. He has to be up to that task. 
he does have to be up to it. And another guy who is obviously a huge part of what they do, both offensively and defensively, is Bam Adebayo. And Bam, we saw a difference in him from round one to round two offensively in particular. Obviously in round one, some struggles against Milwaukee, despite the fact that the Heat you know, were playing so unbelievably offensively. In round two, you could argue Bam was the best player on the Miami Heat. He was tremendous mm-hmm. on both ends and really looked a lot more comfortable, obviously, and, and you mentioned it already. Al Horford and Robert Williams, that's that's a large team. Uh, th- those yeah. are some big dudes you're going up against. They can both defend really well. What are we more likely to see from Bam offensively in, in this matchup against Boston? Is it closer to what we saw in round one against Milwaukee, or is it closer to what we saw in round two against the New York Knicks? Well, Milwaukee's always an especially tricky matchup for Bam. You know, Brooke Lopez is yeah. someone who has length, gives him a lot of trouble. What I'll say about Bam in this series is, you know, I spoke to Bam before the regular season started, just a few days before the season started. And, you know, he told me he had some of the best playoff games in his career against Boston last year. He also had some yep. single-digit scoring games. He was up and down in that series. I remember him telling me just how angry the sight of the color green was making him by the end of that <laughs> series. He's incredibly motivated. And one thing that's not been a secret, we saw a different Bam in the regular season offensively. Yep, The shots he was taking... That is all born out of how he's been defended in the playoffs, what's happened to him in the postseason in his career. Mm-hmm. And I think this series is going to be the biggest test yet of all that work he put in in the summer, all the work he put in on uh, that dotted line jumper, the reps that he accumulated over the regular season. This is why you work on it. This is mm-hmm. this is why you work on it. That's the beauty of the playoffs is this guy's had a whole year to prepare for this matchup. He, the lessons he learned, the motivation he took from losing the series last year. So I think he's going to be aggressive because, again, they're going to need one-on-one scoring in this series. Right. Um, they're going to need uh, their best players to find advantages defensively. Um, Boston has great defenders in the pick-and-roll, drop defenders in, in Horford and Rob Williams. We're not going to make these catches or these looks easy for Bam. We're not going to see him get the space he got in the regular season for that dotted line jumper. But it's still going to be imperative for Bam to take it in the regular season. He had his highest percentage of unassisted field goals in his career. That means Mm. he was creating offense for himself. So I think we're going to see a more aggressive Bam, certainly. I think he knows that's what this matchup dictates. Whether he's going to be successful or not, listen, the, the, the other team's getting paid too, and the Celtics have great defenders. It's it's going to be an inflection point in this series, undoubtedly. Look, the Celtics were everybody's darling favorite for a good majority of this season for a reason. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're a loaded team, um, and, and particularly defensively, they do present a lot of different problems. Uh Aggressive BAM is what everybody sure hopes to see uh, in this round in particular. Um, And so let's talk about the Celtics, right, and what got them Mm -hmm. here. Jason Tatum continues to grow despite a a pretty horrendous Game 6. He bounced back with an unbelievable Game (laughs) 7. Yeah. Uh, what, What makes this Celtics team maybe better than what Miami saw in rounds one and two? And and how do you see Miami trying to attack them as they guard Boston and all of the different threats that they have on the offensive end. So what makes Boston so good, especially as a playoff team, is they just have multiple ways to win. Yep. Then so much of the playoffs is, well, what's your weakness? Can you cover up for it? Do you have an answer? Do you have a solution? Boston has a lot of answers. You know, in game six and seven against Philadelphia, they went quote unquote big, right? They put Robert Williams in the starting lineup. 
that was a lineup that in the second half of last season was one of the best defensive units right. the NBA seed in, in the last decade. And that was a lineup they weren't even starting because they can also go small, put five shooters on the floor. When they play Horford, Tatum, Brown, White, and Marcus Smart together, Crazy. that's five players who can shoot. So that's what makes Boston difficult. They have a lot of different ways to win. They have a lot of different guys who can defend. I mean, you think about that lineup that I just mentioned, Tatum, White, Brown, Smart, and Horford. There's no great option to attack there. I, no. I mean, Tatum and Brown are fantastic defenders. Smart is a former Defensive Player of the Year winner. Like I said, Derek White was the Heat's target last year. He's not bad. He, he's right. good at what he does. So that that's what makes them really special is they are they're built for the modern NBA and then they can space the floor. And when they space the floor, it's going to be very difficult for teams to match up with them um, from the three point line and also attack defensively because they they have one on one defenders. So that's what makes them really good. I mean, they they can kind of mix and match. They have Grant Williams who's can defend multiple positions. Uh, gives them shooting. So they have so many options in the front court. They have Malcolm Brogdon. He's someone who can be a swing player. Let's say Derek White's struggling. Yep. That's going to be a tougher matchup for Jimmy as well. Uh, so they they just have a lot of different ways to win. Their big thing is they can shoot. They can shoot so well from every position. The way they shot in the regular season was just remarkable. When they go five out, it's going to be very difficult for Miami to match up defensively. It's a lot of space for the Heat defense to cover. You know, when Boston goes small, I would not imagine we see a lot of Kevin Love in those minutes. It's going to come down to, can Miami win those one-on-one battles defensively? Can Gabe Vincent stay in front? Can Kyle Lowry stay in front? You know, bam, in the second round, the Heat, they played so well defensively because they could pack the paint. They didn't have to worry about the Knicks shooting. Yep, That's not going to be the case against Boston. So can the Heat's defense hold up in space? Well, and that's been an issue for Miami all season, right? During the regular mm-hmm. season, that was something they really struggled with, was that that was how teams like Detroit would come into Miami on a Thursday night and come back from 20 down in the second half because they would just start shooting the lights out, and the Heat's defense sometimes struggled to to play well against teams like that. And this actually, you already mentioned it briefly, but I, I read your, your five questions for the conference finals on Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated, which everybody should go check out. Um, and outside of Jimmy Butler's health, your greatest question for Miami was whether or not they would start Kevin Love. Now, I, I, mm-hmm. I have to imagine to start this series, you will see Kevin Love in the starting lineup, yes. um, especially now with with both of the big men in the starting lineup for Boston. But what makes this such a difficult matchup for him specifically? And, and how do you imagine ultimately this plays out in the ways that Eric Spolster and the Heat staff end up tweaking their rotation and or their starting unit to sort of counter all these things that you just mentioned Boston can bring? Right. So the love thing is interesting. Boston, I think, has already said, Joe Missoula has already said he's going to stick with his two big starting lineup, yeah. which gives Miami an opportunity, I think, to play Kevin Love in game one at the very least, because there's there's two bigs for him to play. He can I would I would imagine he starts on Al Horford only because Rob Williams is a little bit more of a pick and roll threat. Um, I think you want Bam in those actions. Also, Bam can robe roam off Robert Williams when he's off the ball and kind of stick closer to the paint. But this, I don't think Miami's rotation from the second round is the kind of rotation you can use against Boston. Cause like mm. I said, they just have so much more shooting. They play a so much more spaced out version of basketball. That's why I think Caleb Martin's going to be huge in this series. Yeah. I'd be surprised if he's not starting in place of love at some point, particularly if Boston also goes small um, I think they're going to need a little bit more of Haywood Highsmith in this series, particularly his perimeter defense. 
uh, see if he can bring them something. He had some good minutes against Boston in the regular season, but he will be ignored on the three-point line, and he's going to have to hit some of those looks. I would not be surprised if he go back to some version of maybe we see Kevin Love playing the backup center minutes yeah. uh, to give them some more shooting in place of Cody Zeller. The thing with Kevin Love, and listen, he's competed. He's a vet. He has championship experience. He will be targeted defensively. Yeah. And I think one issue Miami's going to have is if the Celtics are putting Kevin Love in the pick and roll, Love's going to show he's going to hedge. That puts two men on the ball. That gives Boston an opportunity to play four on three, quickly break down Miami's defense. And playing four on three against the Celtics when they have the shooting that they do right. is a lot more difficult than against a team like the Knicks. So that that's why I think, you know, what how love is used is going to be so important because I think the Heat are going to need to be a little bit more switchable, a little bit more lean defensively in the series. Yeah, a couple things that that sort of stand out there from what you said, which include, you know, I have to imagine that that Boston will be doing a little bit of the same daring to hit a three to Caleb Martin if and when he comes Absolutely. in. That's, that's what allowed Boston, in my view, that's like that was the biggest thing that allowed Boston to win last year was leaving P.J. Tucker alone in the corner and knowing not a lot was going to come out of it offensively mm-hmm. for Miami. You know, this year, Caleb Martin has shot the ball really well all season long, and, you know, he's been pretty good in the postseason, too. So I, I think you're right in that he's going to be a really big part of, of how the Heat are able to attack this. But And, oh, go and ahead, real quick, please. I'll just say, I'll just say Love has a chance to make an impact early in this series. Oh, because yeah. Because if he is uh, on the perimeter and Boston's not able to close out to him fast enough, I don't, Miami likes to put him, they don't just put him in the corner. They run a lot of pick and, pick and pop with him. Um. So we'll we'll see how Boston decides to defend that. But if Rob Williams is on him or Horford's on him and, and Boston's shooting towards the paint, Love is going to have an opportunity uh, to make some open shots. Look, you saw the difference with that against Milwaukee. He shot the ball really yeah. well in, the, in those first few games, and it really changed what the Heat were able to do offensively. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, this does feel like, it, as you mentioned already, it's going to take a lot of really great one-on-one efforts from Jimmy and Bam in particular offensively and winning those matchups to be able to score the way that they need to in order to win this series. Again, particularly when you might need to play more guys like Haywood Highsmith over Kevin Love in order to slow down what Boston's doing. Um, the guy behind all of that, all of those decisions, Eric Spolstra. This may be a bit more of a, a, a sort of granular question Mm -hmm. and and more of a general question but i've Mm -hmm. seen you talk about it on twitter before and elsewhere just sort of the genius of of eric spolstra and i think sometimes you know we see these individual efforts from players we talk about playoff jimmy we talk about what we saw from bam last series and and all these different things you know obviously the big three at the beginning of his coaching career but can you just speak to the brilliance of Eric Spolstra and a guy here who now is again back to his you know third conference finals in, in four years with yet another core and and how he's just able to consistently bring the most out of his rosters. Yeah, so there's a couple things that goes into that. So first of all, obviously like credit to him and the whole staff. They are so sophisticated in the adjustments they make. The way they play is aggressive. They do things differently on defense than a lot of teams. They are just, they're on top of all those things. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Spo is on top of the adjustments. He's always going to have a good game plan. Now, whether the team has the talent to execute it or whether the other team just has more talent, like sometimes that's basketball. You're not always going to win, but Spo is, he's on top of every single one of those things. He will find any and every edge. He's only gotten better as that his career has gone on. I, I would guess and I would bet he would tell you that I, I bet he regrets some of the strategic decisions 
from 10 years ago when he was coaching LeBron that, that he does, that he wishes he would have made now. Like he just has a wealth of playoff experience and that's incredible. That's great. But I think what really makes Spo special and something that I've learned from every player I've ever interviewed that's played for Spo is he goes out of his way to connect with his players on a personal level, whether that's going out to dinner with them, giving them a book to read. He told me a story once of, you know, he apologized to Dwayne Wade one year for how he coached him one season. And yeah, he, he is um, someone who takes great pride and pleasure in, in the craft of coaching and getting the best out of players. And that's not just X's and O's, that's motivation. It's having a relationship with them. You look at a guy like Duncan Robinson. Obviously, he's got the contract, right? But he went from being a huge part of Miami's offense for two years to out of the rotation to now back in it. Now, Duncan deserves a ton of credit for staying ready. Yep. And I'm I'm sure there were times where he was probably frustrated with Spo. You know, at this when having said all that, there's a level of trust he has to have to come back in and do his job as well as he's doing it for him for Spo to be able to get the best mm. out of everyone. You think about the one-on-one conversation he had to have with Kyle Lowry to tell a champion that he was going to bring him off the bench. Right. He's he's earned that trust and respect from players, and I, I just think that's such an you can't quantify that, but that's such an important part of the job is how do you motivate people? How do you, how do you get the best out of people? And that's not just the work. If you ask both of us, he'll say, no, no credit to Max Struess for getting in the gym and getting all those shots up, you know, but he, I think he plays a big role in the, in the personal relationships, the way he goes out of his way um, to make sure he's connecting with this players that I think there's just a level of trust uh, and respect that he's earned from everyone on the roster, which is how he's able to keep guys engaged, make these, you know, kind of off the wall rotation decisions, et cetera. My old colleague, Michael Pina wrote a great story last year about Spo, um, where he mentioned how, you know, in an early practice, he told PJ Tucker, he was going to cheat off the strong side corner to help when covering a three that's very granular, but most teams don't do that. And PJ Tucker was like, hmm. what are you talking about? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> But, you know, the Heat have certain expectations for their players, and I think that a large reason they're able to get the most out of them is because of the way Spo goes above and beyond to, to make sure that, that he's connecting with his, his roster. Well, he does everything he can to connect with, with human beings uh, on on that sort of level. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. literally, I have a, a book here on my desk that it, once I joined the broadcast, it was like, all right, I'm giving you this book so that you can read it so that you can understand a bit about what it is that we do here. And it's just, it's not his book. It's just a book that sort of summarizes yeah. some of what they do. And that's that's the type of person that Eric Spolstra seems to be in the way he connects with players. And you mentioned that sort of breadth of experience in the postseason. Obviously, Joe Mazzulla has none. You know, Joe Mazzulla is now, a, he's a rookie coach with the Boston Celtics. Do you, do you think that ultimately does end up making any sort of major difference in this series? Or... or I mean, look, obviously coaching makes a difference. We know that it does. We've seen what Eric Spolster does. But, you know, at this point, do, do you think that that coaching disparity can kind of help tip things, in, you know, in terms of the scale one way or another? Boston is so talented that that might be enough. I do think that he'd have a coaching advantage, and that's not to say Joe Missoula is a bad coach. Right. He just hasn't been at these moments. I will say um, 
he's had great experience already this postseason. This is a team that came back down from 3-2, had to go on the road. Right. Second year in a row. Again, it helps to have the players he does and Jason Tatum going off for 51, but it was Missoula who made the adjustment to put Rob Williams in the starting lineup. Um, and I'm sure he collaborated with his staff and his players on some of the adjustments they made in that Philadelphia series, how they guarded James Harden and Joel Embiid in the pick and roll, for example, the way that changed over the course of the series, the way he's used Al Horford, uh, shout out to Cooper Moorhead, who writes for the heat, who pointed out the stat, like Coop's incredible. Like he, he pointed out that Al Horford over the course of a game starts to switch more often in the fourth quarter. Uh, That's a, that's a nice quirk from Boston, which I think they, they can maybe kind of lull you into a false sense of security early in the game, playing this one coverage and then start to employ the switches more and more often. So I think Missoula, does he have flaws? Yes, all rookie coaches do. You know, Eric Spolster was not the coach he is now uh, the first season of his career, certainly. So sure. while I do think the Heat have an advantage there, that experience uh, only goes so far ultimately uh, with the talent on the floor. And I think Missoula is learning on the fly and, and he's already done some impressive things this postseason. So I was going to ask you outside of Jimmy and Bam who the X factor is for Miami, but I, I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be. Is it, It's Caleb Martin, presumably, as, as the X factor for Miami. But I'm going to ask you anyway. X factor for Miami and an X factor for Boston is two guys who, you know, if this team's going to win, either team's going to win, these guys maybe have to have their best series. You know, for X factor, I think I'm actually going to say Duncan for mm, Miami. Wow. Because he... When he was at his best, he really opened up their offense. You know, that first year, I believe, that Jimmy and Bam were on the roster, when Jimmy and Bam shared the floor without Duncan Robinson, the offense was not very good. Right. And he he opened up a lot for them. And the Heat have changed the way they've played significantly since then. And again, Boston's a switchy team, so it's not going to be quite as easy for Duncan to get those clean looks. But the reason I say he's an X-factor is, if he's able to hold up defensively, the Heat play a lot of zone with Duncan on the floor to kind of keep him out of uh, getting hunted, et cetera. So if, I think if they're able to survive the minutes that that he's playing defensively and they get the hot Duncan shooting nights, and that's enough yeah. to swing a quarter, enough to swing a game. So I, I'm interested to see because this is going to be the biggest moment he's played in in a couple years. You know, obviously he was in that Knicks series, but uh, the pressure, you know, as Spo likes to say, it's 10x. It just yeah. It's exponentially higher in a conference final. So I'm interested to see what Duncan can do if he's able to help Jimmy and Bam have some of these hot shooting nights, especially when he's playing with the second unit, playing with Kyle Lowry. Um, That's been a huge difference maker for the Heat with their bench lineups. Uh, I'm interested to see the impact Duncan has there. For Boston, I'm going to say it's Rob Williams because Mm. when he's at his best, he is just an absolute destructive presence defensively. I don't think there's better anyone in the NBA better than Rob Williams at helping off his man to cut off a drive in the paint and then closing out to a three-point shooter. Caleb Martin may think he has an open look from the corner. It's not that open. I, Rob Williams, yeah. I think, has the, the ability to block a shot further away from the shooter than any other player in the NBA. That That's how good he is when his knees are right um, and his athleticism at its peak. So if he's able to play, uh, you know, the Heat, they struggle with him when he's healthy. They they struggle with him when he's healthy. I think he's a, he's a huge chance to kind of throw a wrench in Miami's offensive plans. All right. So we've heard the X factors. We've heard the breakdown. We've heard everything. 
ESPN Analytics gives the Heat a 3% chance to win this series. So obviously it would be another massive upset. If the Heat are to pull off the upset, how and why does it happen? It happens because Jimmy Butler is maybe not quite the same form as he was in round one, but it'll happen because Jimmy has an incredible offensive performance. And defensively, they're going to need to force a lot of turnovers. That was huge for them in the series last year. Oladipo, if you remember, was getting a ton of steals. P.J. Tucker, they're going to need Caleb Martin. They're going to need Kyle Lowry. Uh, They're going to have to be very aggressive with Boston's ball handlers and see how many turnovers they can force. Because Miami's offense has to get out and get out and run. Even if they're not in transition, they can't get stuck in half court after Boston makes. That's going to be very difficult for them. So I think if they're going to win, it's going to come down to Jimmy and Bam winning their one-on-one matchups offensively and then defensively. Boston's going to shoot. They're going to need to win the turnover battle every game. Well, we know you're a uh, a Miami guy at, at heart. For those who haven't seen any clips of this yet, Rohan is wearing a Florida Panthers hat. We'll get into Florida Panthers talk in just a moment here, but Rohan, I I want your prediction for what ultimately happens in this series. Who wins and how many games? I'm just tired of betting against the Heat. I I have no logic or rationale really behind this decision. Yes. Other than they've just somehow found a way. I'm going to say Heat and six. All right. Because Boston... Boston maybe is finally taking the playoffs seriously, but if they mess around at any point like they did in the in the first two rounds, that's not going to fly against Spo and Jimmy like the way it did in the previous two rounds. So, yeah, man, we'll see what happens. Let's see what happens. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Rohan Nankarni, you can check him out on Sports Illustrated. You can follow him at Rohan Nankarni on Twitter. Rohan, thank you so much, man, for joining me on Miami Mic'd Up. Can't wait to have you back someday soon. My pleasure to join the hottest podcast in all of South Florida, Jeremy, anytime. Ridiculous. Thank you. And now on Miami Mic'd Up, we bring in one of our national voices on the NHL side on Bally Sports. This is Pete Blackburn joining the show. Pete, thanks so much for uh, joining me today to talk a little bit uh, Cats and Canes. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, Pete, before we get into the hockey, I I have to ask you the question I ask everyone here on Miami Mic'd Up. What is something recently outside of work that has brought you joy? Uh, So I'm real. I'm a big video game guy. um, And one of the uh, one of the games that I've been really into recently, it's like it's even hard to call it a game, but uh, House Flipper. I don't know if you're aware of of House Flipper. I'm in. Give me all the details. It's, It's like essentially like an HD hgtv video game where you take a crappy house you clean it up you gut it and then you you redesign it and you put all your your artistic touches to it and then you try to resell it for uh for for profit and it's so fun and it is like the vibiest game it is the perfect like detox from hockey so for the next couple Uh of days before the third round gets started i'm gonna be going into that hardcore I love that. That sounds like a, a really immersive game, too. So a good yes. practice for, for one day. Uh, I don't know if you are, but, uh, you know, for me, looking into buying a home sometime soon would be good practice for it. You know, being able yeah, to... Yeah, I'll tell you what. I I, uh, I bought a house, uh, like, less than a year ago, uh-huh. and none of that applies to real life. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. So uh, maybe my That's time would be more, more well spent learning how to do those things in reality. 
but it's way easier on my computer. So I'm just going to stick to that. That's more fun. Maybe maybe yeah. a less stressful experience as well. I can quit halfway through a job <laughs> on my computer. I can't quit halfway through a job in right. real life. An actual home ownership. Right. Well, uh, l- let's go ahead and dive into the hockey now. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Florida Panthers, Carolina Hurricanes. It's the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, not one that I anticipate many people would have predicted going into the Eastern Conference playoffs into the NHL playoffs. But before we get into the the specific matchup here, I want to know, you know, we've been watching this surge for the Panthers locally throughout, you know, the end of the regular season, seeing how this all came together. But from sort of the national perspective, as, as you know, you're trying to cover all the different teams across the NHL and sort of look at it from that standpoint, what has this run been like from the Panthers and how improbable is it to see this team have the run that they did at the end of the season to lead into this moment now entering the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean, like once I got past the Bruins, I was like I was stopped. I stopped being kind of stunned by it because right. I mean, when you look at the bigger picture, like, like this team won the President's Trophy last year and like a lot of those pieces are still there. Yeah, they went through some changes. Yeah, they've had worse luck in net and things like that. But like. I, I said at the outs at the start of the the first round series, like okay, the the Panthers once they get good goaltending, they're a very good team, and we saw that and and at the end of the regular season, and it just so happens they've gotten very good goaltending for most of the playoffs, so right. they are a very good team. I didn't expect them to get past the Bruins, but once they did, uh, you know anything was on the table and I still think that anything is on the table for that team uh, if things keep going their way. So, um, you know, am I surprised that they are where they are right now? For sure. And I'm especially surprised that it's Sergei Bobrovsky uh, being the guy who's putting them over the top as opposed to Alex Lyon, who got them into the playoffs to begin with. So it's been a weird winding road, but that's what happens when it comes to the playoffs a lot of the times. That's what's great about playoff hockey, obviously. And we'll get to Bob in just a minute. Um, When you talk about this Panthers team also, you know, both of their series clinching goals were in overtime games. You had Verhege against Boston in Game 7. You had Cousins against the Leafs. They're now 4-0 in overtime. And and Paul Maurice has been talking about just sort of how free and loose this team has been playing, specifically when it comes down to crunch time. How much does, you know, having that free and loose mentality, you know, as an 8 seed, how does that help a team come the NHL playoffs? And how much do you think it's helped the Panthers? I think it's helped them a ton. I mean, you look at sort of the mentality that they kept in the first round, even down 3-1. Paul Maurice kind of kept it his team in check and and like said all the right things. Seems like a very calming presence. And it really didn't seem like that team was feeling any pressure at mm. any point in that series. And maybe it does help that they were going up against the Bruins, who had all the, the expectations and the pressure on them. And, you know, you heard it from, like, Matthew Kachuk after a couple of the wins. It was like, nobody expected us to be here. Right. Nobody expected us to uh, – everybody expected us to kind of roll over against this team. And if that is the expectation, there's not a lot of pressure to right. to, to kind of get in there and, and get the job done. And you're right that, like, they, they have had, like, a looseness to them in terms of – you know they're they're not like really tense and like terrified of making mistakes they're the ones poaching all these mistakes made by other teams mm. who may be feeling that pressure because they have gone up against two the arguably the two teams that are facing the most pressure coming into this postseason with the Leafs and the Bruins because the Leafs you talk about the core four and how they've never been able to get it done right and you talk about the Bruins finishing the season as the best regular season team of all time there's a lot of pressure that comes with both of those things so uh now I guess we'll see because they are starting to maybe feel some pressure now because the, you know the Stanley Cup is in their sights 
Right. Well, that's the part that's kind of cool. And, and for this Panthers team that, you know, last year was the opposite, right? It was right. all of this pressure that they felt as a number one seed, as, you know, the best team in hockey, as as a team that multiple years in a row had come up short in the playoffs, particularly against their rival in the Lightning, to see them make this sort of run with that almost opposite level of pressure and that opposite mentality of like, all right, we're here, we're just hanging out. And I, I do think Matthew Kachuk has, has a lot to do with that in terms of the type of personality that he is. Um, you know, with Kachuk, what what have you seen from the way that he sort of injected something unique into this team? And I mean, he had such an unbelievable regular season and an incredible first series against Boston. I, ironically, was just okay against the Leafs and it didn't really matter, really matter for Florida. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I kind of said it last summer where, uh, like, Matthew Kachuk is one of the, I don't know, like 10 or 15 best players in the NHL. And anytime you can go out and get a guy like that and be aggressive, you should consider it. And you yep. should like every team should have been in on Matthew Kachuk because of that. And to the Panthers credit, like they went for a big swing, for a real. big, big swing, especially coming off of a president's trophy. Like it would, been, it would have been so easy to say, OK, we're just going to run it back with this team. Maybe we'll have yep. some better luck. And no, they, they went for Matthew Kachuk, and I think that it has made him a massive difference. He's been great this entire year. Um, it, it's just he's one of those guys that does everything, like everything well. He, he He's mm. highly skilled. Like he may not be like the sexiest player in terms of making highlights and stuff like that, but he does everything well. He's a very smart player. He provides a, a pretty rare mix in today's game of of like that edge, but also not being stupid about it. Like he's a, right. he plays with a smart edge, but also with a lot of skill. And that's just so valuable. And I've been really impressed by him, both in terms of what he's shown on the ice and his leadership. And even as like I'm a diehard Bruins fan, so watching him that could kind not of have been fun. Watching him poke the Bruins and and light them up, I should hate that guy. I should hate his guts. <laughs> but he's such a likable guy. He he he's like very down to earth. And then I was in Florida for the All Star game and spoke to him for a little bit. And like just he's just the best. He's yep. just the best guy. So uh, you know Matthew Kachuk, absolutely one of the best players and best guys in the NHL. Yeah, he's been tremendous. Um, and speaking of guys who have been tremendous, let's get back to him. Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, he has been unbelievable for the Panthers since being put back in for Alex Lyon uh, early in that Boston series. Obviously, this is a bit of a, a sort of finally for a lot of Panthers fans who were you know waiting on Bobrovsky to sort of live up to the contract. And gosh, he has the, every last dime of it in this postseason. So what stood out to you about his performance here? And, and, and what does Carolina do well that could present some issues for him? Um, so, I mean, what stood out to me is just that like, you know, he, he, to me, he's like the biggest Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of goaltenders in the mm. NHL where, I mean, he was really good last year and right. then this year during the regular season, not so much. And we've kind of seen that over the course of his career where it's kind of the flip, the switch can be flipped pretty quickly. And we've even seen it in the postseason uh, when he was with the Blue Jackets, like he could have right. a, a, a great round or great round and a half. And then suddenly I don't know whether it's like fatigue or like the the mental aspect or something. It catches up to him and the the bottom kind of falls out. And so I'm still I'm a little I'm, I'm I'm maybe waiting for that and see and and curious to see if it will happen at any point. Right. But obviously he's been great. And, uh, you know, he's been very, very sturdy for most of for most of the playoffs. There's been some times where his rebound control hasn't been hasn't been the best. 
but the the play in front of him has been really good most of the time in terms of like cleaning up in front of the net. So uh, as long as that stays the same, uh, you know, I, I think that there's there's a good opportunity for him to succeed. Where Carolina could expose him a little bit is like they're really great at at cycling the puck and keeping and hemming teams into their own zone and just like kind of toying with them. Mm. And they throw they throw a lot of shots on net. They're a great possession team. So the longer you keep them in the zone, the more opportunity you're going to have to expose that rebound control if it's not where it should be. Uh, so Florida's defense needs to be really good about protecting those high danger areas and exiting the zone cleanly. And that's two things that I'm really looking at in terms of Florida finding success. Yeah, Florida's defense will, will need to step up and play about as well as they've played all season long in order to be able to hang in the series. So for you, who or what is sort of the X factor, the matchup that we should be looking at as this is something we can focus on when we look at Carolina and Florida and say, okay, th this may be where the series is won or lost. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to to uh, Florida's high-end talent versus Carolina's depth because Carolina, we know the story. They've lost like three of their, you know, best goal scorers that they were hoping to kind of put right. them over the top and they're still finding success. And the reason that they're doing that is because they're getting depth contributions top to bottom. I mean, Jordan Martin was their, their leading scorer right. in the last series. And he's a guy who scored like, I don't know, like eight goals, it's 10 crazy. goals during the regular season. So, um, you know, if, if they can continue to do that and find their goals in maybe some unexpected places, like yes, Barry Cockney was huge for them in the last series as well. After having a pretty, pretty slow opening round. So like they're going to need their depth and then Florida is going to need their stars to kind of take over the games and mm -hmm. sort of highlight the discrepancy between the lack of top end talent, because you, you had, you have a Matthew Kuchuk, you have an Alex Barkov, um, you know, so like even like a Carter Verhage, like they, th those guys are capable of seizing a series. Right. And I don't, necessarily know if I believe that Carolina has anybody who's capable of seizing a series in terms of like a one to two person sample. So that I think is going to be the big X factor for me. So that being said, um, and we'll, we'll wrap up right after this with a little special bonus question that has nothing to do with hockey. This series to me has seven games written all over it. Yeah. It's what's, your, awesome. <laughs> what's, what's your prediction? If you had to make one, remember you are on Miami mic'd up right now. Yeah. I'm just yeah, giving you a little, but, a little nudge. In I, the know, right direction. I know, but, but I also at the same time, I've, I've made so many Carolina hurricanes fans mad by not giving them That's complete hilarious. credit. The entire postseason. Right. Anytime no matter you, what. When anytime you give any side, credit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you give any credit to the other side or like say that something went wrong on the other side, don't give exclusive credit to the Carolina Hurricanes, their fans will kill you. So, uh, no, I mean, I, I do think it's going to be a very close series. And I think there's not a whole lot of separation between these two at this point where I think Carolina's defense is a lot better. Um, but that being said, I have concerns about their goaltending. And if Bob is Bob that we've seen through the first two rounds, I'd give the edge to Florida. But that's the mm. big X factor for me. You're like the big, you know, if, if the goaltending goes south for the Panthers, I think they're done. And right. that's just, it is what it is. And I, I'm not totally certain that uh, it's not going to go south. So I, 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 you can't get a pick out of me because I don't know what's going to happen because – it's just, I, I, I there are a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. I get that for sure. I, I guess, I guess I will say Carolina in seven, um, because if it goes to a game seven, B 
being in Carolina, I think that makes a difference. And I, I think that their defense, I, I trust their defense a little bit more. All right. Thanks, Pete, for the prediction. Uh, you're dead to everybody in our audience. <laughs> uh, la- last question for you, uh, only because I was doing a little background uh, and saw on your most recent podcast on brunch, which I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, your pop culture podcast. Uh, yeah. You guys dove into the wonderful world of the Maddie Healy, Taylor Swift, 1975 dating world and everything going on there. I got to admit, my, my entire TikTok algorithm right now is just feeding me nonstop like Swifty conspiracy theories about. Oh everything. yeah, we and it we is, had a we had a big one. We yeah. had a big one where we joked around uh-huh. like with the conspiracy theories and and like how everything aligned for this relationship being in the stars. Yeah, and it popped off on TikTok. It got like seven hundred thousand views. It was really so funny. I watched it. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I'm a huge 1975 guy. And uh, and my co-host is like a big Taylor Swift truther where he's like, Taylor Swift's (laughs) not that good. And and like she has like she's very like um, uh, like very sticks to an algorithm. So uh, this is a big moment for us in terms of (laughs) like a meeting of the minds and and having two of our big interests kind of come together. Yeah, it cracks me up, man. I I I have always appreciated the 1975 i'll say but not until this most recent record did i get like oh my god full on i'm in like i'm in this is one of my favorite records ever and so as soon as i was like all right i'm gonna dive in on this maddie healy and i'm i am a guy who really enjoys taylor swift i love her music i love jack antonoff he produces all of all of this stuff now and so to see this all come together, I've been wanting the space to talk about this nonstop. So this was just my opportunity to say, hey, this is cool. What a funny, hilarious, and hopefully real relationship that we can all. It is real. I've gotten, I've gotten confirmation. Hey, confirmation. I've gotten... We got sources. Yeah. There sources. we go. I, I, have a, I have a source that confirmed to me that it is a real relationship. It's been going on for a couple months. How about and, that? Uh, it's, it's only going to, I mean, I feel like a, I, I don't. I don't I'm not rooting for it to fail, but I think it's destined to fail. Well, and whenever it, it fails, we're all going to get some really good music out of it. That's exactly. So that I think anybody who likes both Taylor Swift and 1975 can take some right. solace in even if it fails and they end up unhappy. We get some good music out of it. Right. And that's the joy so. it can bring. All right. <laughs> well, Pete Blackbird, thank you so much. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Pete Blackburn. You can see all of his work on Bally Sports. And uh, thanks again, Pete, for joining me today on Miami Mic'd Up. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.